Hello. Ah, uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good. You sound all he- all healed up. Oh, thank you. I feel good. How are you doing? I'm fine. Fine. <clears throat> so gonna, we're going to have like a 78 uh, degree uh, day here in Austin for Christmas. You're kidding. Yeah, it's going to be nice and warm, I think. Is that is that normal? Not. It's not really normal. We're usually much colder than that uh, by by usually 30, 40 degrees or so colder. Uh, but Yikes. I'm showing right now Friday, it's going to be 74 and rainy. So, yeah, usually we're in the like 40s at that time. Mm. What about you? What do you got going on there? I'll find out. Merlin types the weather. This is uh, normally our <laughs> our uh, rainy month, and uh, it's mostly rainy. Let's see. We're looking at, uh, yeah, light rain in the morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't, it's, it's the weather here is so strange. Uh, December is when we, December and January, I feel like, are when we really get rain. And uh, so it will be. It's that's nice though. I mean, it's it's a different kind of like uh, season that you get used to. Like if you're used to being around snow in December and you don't have snow, it feels weird. But now you know, rain, rain feels like Christmas to me. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I'm still waking up a little bit. How, how is everything going? Everything's great in my neck of the woods. Yeah. Very very well. I thought I was getting a really bad cold, but I think I was actually getting over a very small cold. So I feel uh, I feel all right. Oh, my sinuses are a mess. Is there anything? Mm. Else? Let's see. I'm tired. The weather's weird. I got uh, bad sinuses. I'm waking up. How's the pinch? Uh, How's the nerve pinch? Uh, you know what? I don't have a, a pinch right now. Oh, I this, good. Th- listen to this. Can you hear this? This chair. I really need to treat myself I to, to a better you're chair. You're going to say that was your your shoulder. <laughs> That's that creaking sound. Yeah, that's that's my torso. <laughs> right, you're just you're picking up a pencil. Uh, yeah, I got to do something about this chair. But no, yeah. it's good. It's that time of the year when the world falls in love, and uh, it's good. It's good. Is your is your uh, is your holiday uh, season going all right? Yeah, it's going pretty good. This is the first year where I actually felt like I was on top of getting presents for people in time, and ev- everyone's accounted for. Yeah, you sent me a present. Oh, yes, I did. I, I, you know, it's the kind of present that I, I almost dread receiving myself because there's pressure now and uh, or perceived pressure, and I don't want there to be any. But uh, enjoy it in good health. Lachayim. Yeah, he's, uh, Dan sent me a copy of a book he wants me to read yeah. uh, called, uh, which he brings up every week, called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I'm, I'm gonna. It's big. It's a really big book. <laughs> Thank you. Hmm. Um. And so I, I uh, I'm gonna try and read that. It's uh, my wife remarked on what a beautiful edition it is. It's very very pretty. It, and I think it, it, does it look like uh, because this is not a physical edition I've seen. I have the old one, which is silver with kind of the black square and the the wrench and things. And this one looked very. It looked green and yeah, no, it's green and fancy, and uh, and I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be great. We were at we have so few bookstores in San Francisco. We were out of town. This week, and we're out of Barnes and Noble. Man, Barnes and Noble has gotten really interesting. They got a lot of books in there. Well, they do have a lot of books, a lot of people, but they also have basically a toy department now. I mean, right? People who have a Barnes and Noble in their town will know this, but um, yeah, we we haven't had one in San Francisco in a couple years. We don't have Borders anymore. We don't have we have like five bookstores in town now. including one in our neighborhood that we like to go to. But, and, and like all the bookstores, I think it's doing the same kind of move grocery stores started doing 20 years ago where you're moving beyond the, the thin margin stuff that's your primary thing. Yeah. 
So they've got a lot of like Doctor Who bookmarks and, you know, uh, Great Gatsby shirts, real sexy stuff. <laughs> but th- this Barnes and Noble, my God, they had a giant <laughs> toy section. So yeah, much Lego. The, it seems like the premise is that these are educational toys, right? Yeah, there was a time when that veneer was maintained, <laughs> what I would call the PBS effect. Um, yeah, this will be okay. I'll let my, let my kid watch, uh, Caillou because it's educational. Right. Caillou. We got to talk about Caillou someday. Um, (laughs) no, no, but no, no. I mean, it's really, it really is like you walk in and, uh, from the, you know, from the street entrance and like, it's, there's all the kind of bestseller stuff in your face. There's Star Wars stuff. There's coffee. There's all kinds of like stocking stuffer ish things that aren't books. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of bookstores. There's a books. It's a bookstore. It's got books. But then there's a giant, giant toy section. It was really, really cool and very distracting to my daughter. Um, they got like a whole bunch of like Doctor Who stuff and uh, Harry Potter stuff and Star Wars. They had a Star Wars island. Um, pretty good stuff. But <laughs> you're mentioning the book. Just it struck me that. Um, very pro- placed very prominently near the entrance is this section that's essentially about uh, the classics and obtaining for yourself a copy of the classics. And so they have like this giant island of really fancy <laughs> trade paperbacks of books that are out of copyright. And, and then, and then like the, the edition edition of these books. So you can get this fancy hardcover of like a Charles Dickens book, which is brilliant. Because they don't have to pay anything for that. I mean, it's basically, it's just, it's a pile of free paper. It's brilliant. But uh, no, nah, that's a tough racket right now. I, I don't know if I'd want to be running a Barnes & Noble. They also had a lot of employees. It was pretty impressive. There are a lot of people running around. I remember not that long ago, I had the idea to get a book for, for I think it was for my little girl. And I ran in and grabbed the book. And I went up to the front. And the line, there it was, pro- I mean... <laughs> I'm going to say it was like 30 people yeah, and there yeah. was one, one person at the register and they had eight registers and only one person up there. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, it's about 11 a.m. I can order this book on my phone with the Amazon app on Barnes and Noble's Wi-Fi if I feel like it, but I didn't. Mm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like I do, I do. And, 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 and the book will be delivered with Amazon Prime, including the, is it the four or three, four bucks to, to get the overnight? Uh, right, right, right. And it'll be here tomorrow. And even with the Amazon Prime cost to overnight ship, it'll be less than they're asking for in the store. And I won't have to wait 20 minutes in line. Like, how do they I, compete? You know? Yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, it's that's and, five, that's five shows. But I, <laughs> I, I agree with you that it's that it is super complicated. I mean, you know, as far as the one that in our neighborhood, it's I really do. Uh, I actually really do like the store, and I want it to succeed. It's a locally owned business. They try really hard. They do book readings. They've got a great kids section, right. and, I, and so in that case, I mean, I don't have any economic reason for going there apart from, I mean, let me put it, I'm, I'm putting this poorly. My economic reason for going there is very personal, which is that I, I want to be supportive of that place. I like going there. I yeah. like being there. I like, there are certain kinds of things and people where I like giving them money because I want them to be around, but you're right. It is, it is difficult. And you know, but there's a couple of things to that. I not to belabor this, but you know, you know, one of the things is like, obviously this is, it's, it's, it's not going to get better. 
for a place that has to like pay rent to store yeah. paper. Yeah. Like that's that's not going to get better. But there's another part of this that I, I think about a lot, which is that you know there's so many uh, models that were around for twenty to a hundred to two hundred years that are have been dissipating over time especially i guess you you could peg it to napster or the popularization of the internet i think that's definitely a huge part of it but you think about even stuff like the sort of franchise model of public radio where clearly the future of public radio is going to be in something closer to what we now think of as podcasting Mm -hmm. but they need the membership dollars they need the money from all these stations that are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to run a show that everybody can get for free off of uh, Libsyn or right, whatever. Right. That, that, that's a model that's getting weird. Uh, the model of uh, obviously things like books, things like music, any of that kind of stuff, it's been completely disrupted. All the way down to stuff like real estate, where you, know, you certainly know the value of finding somebody who can help. You know, and, and maybe in some cases you need a professional to do certain things in real estate, but I don't think people do that kind of stuff because they love real right, estate right, agents. Right, right. It's, it's, uh, but then my, con- my concern or my interest is in how that ends up changing the stuff that we get. Okay. So, so think of it this way. I mean, you can even remember back when there would still be a Camelot and a record bar in the mall. And, you know, it used to be, you know, I felt like when I was a kid anyway, Camelot had so many albums because people were buying so many albums. Right. And if it was an artist you've heard of, they probably had three to six different titles by that person in stock. And, and certainly if it was something very popular, it would be featured at the front of the store and end cap or what have you. But then over time, and even before Napster more and more, again, like our music, uh, record, record bar started selling like guitar strings right. and started selling headphones and are obviously trying to diversify. And slowly over time you started saying, okay, they're carrying fewer artists because they need to make square footage for other stuff. And the artists they do carry, they're carrying less of the back catalog. They don't want to have that inventory on site. Uh, uh, this isn't particularly interesting, but it interests me. And then, and then, so that continues on until you get to something like maybe uh, I'm thinking of like the era of Michael Jackson. You get into the era of like uh, Mariah Carey and then <laughs> stuff like Britney Spears. And I don't know. My gut is that, that same thing is happening now with movies where you're seeing these blockbusters that are responsible for a giant part of the pie graph and then a long tail after that. Mm-hmm. But if you're a record store or a bookstore, you can't afford to have a bunch of obscure stuff sitting around. You kind of, you kind of have to appeal to what people will go into a store and buy. And I suspect that ends up being blockbuster titles. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I'm just interested about like now, now that that's just an observation, but I wonder what that's actually going to be like moving forward because after the after chris anderson talked about the long tail i think we were all really expecting you know to have as much diversity everywhere in what we wanted as as we could imagine and i don't know if that's the case i don't know i don't know if we're getting closer closer to a monoculture or if we're just getting like you know fifty thousand different monocultures and in different little chat rooms around the world yeah i mean i think, think about this yeah i do and you know going back to the book thing just for a second and i be everyone points to the changing of the guard with with media going from uh, newspapers that get delivered to your doorstep to reading the thing that you want to read online written by the person that you think is the most qualified to tell the version of the story that you want to hear. And the same thing with, you know, the convenience of stuff, whether it's 
the you know the options that we have now not just in should i get a physical book but should i get an electronic book and should i where should i get that copy of the electronic book and which of the many devices that i have all of which can let me read books would i prefer to use right now like or should i get an audiobook or should i get an audiobook you know and you you mentioned this kind of shift of how do people want to watch things how do people want to listen to things and obviously like that's something i think about all the time because this is what you know what what so many of us now like do for a living or do because we love it why you know why would you turn on the radio anymore what's what's there that you can't get somewhere else and you can't get a version of it that stars or features people whose voices and opinions and thought processes and analysis you you like best and you can go and find that particular combination of personality and information and you can you can listen to that and you can do that for every little industry or, or niche that you're really interested in never before in the history of humankind have we had this kind of diversity of choice and it is it, it, everybody says how do i get my podcast listened to how do i get my blog more attention how do i get someone to watch my youtube channel and subscribe follow me on twitter like that yeah. you know because all of us now have the the opportunity to get our voices out there in a way that we never have before and what we're finding out is that even with all of these options even with all of these these avenues to do it that it's still really just as hard as it ever was before for the person creating but for the person uh, who's who's consuming that, we now have all of these choices that it's just it's just mind boggling. And I, mm -hmm. I always the holiday times are always when I get to talk to my brother and sister in law a lot about this because they bring their you know computer questions with them to the holiday table, and I get to not have any good answers about anything you know about how how things work or how they should work. And the questions always come down to like, how do I know what to where to go or how do I know what to pick or how do I know which one is, is best? And there's no answer. You know, it, it, it used to be, Oh, buy consumer reports and read their car issue. And that'll sh like point you in the direction of the five best cars you should consider to test drive. Like that was just with cars. Now, like where, where do you go to get these answers? I'm sorry, this is a little bit off of the topic that you were you're kind of going on, but it, I feel like it it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And it's not just who's the best person to follow on Twitter for this particular brand of entertainment. It's like, do you even use Twitter for that? Should you be using Facebook? Is there something else that that's coming out? Why do people use WhatsApp? Now I have to use it. You know what I mean? Like, well, no, you, mm -hmm. you don't. But if you don't, you can't communicate with this segment of people. And I was reading uh, someone, uh, was it uh, Vatici who was writing his like year end thing? And he was talking about uh, like WhatsApp. And he was saying that, you know, like I use WhatsApp, but I don't like it. I use it because there's a segment of my friends who only use it. And mm. I, now I have to use it. Yeah. You know, there's things that we, we have, you know, we've talked about how we got rid of our, our cable uh, and, and now we have like antennas. And my sister-in-law was asking about that. She's like, how are you have, how do you like watch regular news and stuff? And I said, well, I've got this antenna. She's like, how many channels are on it? I said, you know, we still get like 30 channels, but only about a third of them are in English. And of those third, only like four or five of them are actual like news channels that we would even want to watch. And even in something where we're simplifying, we're saying, I forget, I don't want 500 channels from my cable company. We still have channels I don't want. 
right now. And it's funny though, like, and once again, that's one of those conversations where I end up sounding like I'm one of the Hill people. <laughs> if, if somebody says, well, then how, how do you watch the news? It's like, I wouldn't even know how to answer that. Right. It's like, I, you know, do, do, do people still watch the news? Well, yeah. Oh my God. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they do. I, I know. Mean, just go look at Twitter anytime literally anything happens. It's obvious that somebody is sitting there watching CNN or, or similar. It's obvious to me anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, how do you, what are you doing? Like, that seems so strange to me to like, I don't know. I mean, I, but again, no, that's not, that's not for me, right? In that case, that's something where like there is a huge part of the population, including many of my friends, who like nothing better than talking about something at the same time right? and riffing on it. Right. And, you know, that's the thing. That, that's okay. But hmm, yeah, um, the, there's so many uh, interesting trade-offs to, to this, you know, these weird ecosystems and these evolutions. You know, it's there, if you think about a time when things were more scarce, including things like I'm thinking of albums and, and books, you know, we've always had libraries, but there was a lot more scarcity in terms of like what was out there, what was accessible. It depended a lot on where you lived. Uh, you had a better option for finding comics and books and records if you lived in a big city than if you lived in the suburbs or in the you know, more rural area. So that's all changed. But there was also definitely more of a sense of like a shared canon. You know, uh, on one podcast I was listening to this week talking about the new Star Wars movie, you know, it, it's just that if you're of my age or kind of your age, like Star Wars just was the thing. Oh, yeah. And we all liked it because we all liked it and we all liked it. <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, you could be somebody who didn't like Star Wars, but like it was so fun and high quality and sticky for kids of a certain age yeah. that, I mean, I guess that's still true today, but I don't know. There's just so much more diversity. Well, I mean, think think about this. I love that you brought that up this this particular way. I, I love the point you're making because I was, you know, I was like four or five when, when Star Wars came out. First movie, saw it in the theater, and I loved it. And it was the first movie that I saw more than once. I think I saw it three or four times. You know, each different family member became obligated to take me to go see it. And I just, I remember like you're saying, like every, every human that I knew, especially the little kids that I knew, you know, they, we had all seen it and we were all drawing and talking about it in our, in our class. And then how many years was it before the next movie came out? Was it seven years? Something ridiculous in today's standards. Uh, you know, when the second one came out, I was older and, and we could have real conversations about the movie. Right. But it, it, was, it, it was, was, I think it was three years between each of the movies. That was game changing though. For me as a child, like there was, there was star Wars and there was everything else. Oh, I know, I know. And I took my son to see it. I saw it, uh, so I've seen it twice, and I took my son to see it, just me and him. And uh, he he absolutely loved it. He thought it was amazing. Uh, he still very much, you know, I think admires the dark side more. Uh, but, you know, when we left, I said, well, well do you think it was, was it the best movie you've ever seen? Because for me, at age four, and then again at age seven or eight, and then again, when uh, when the final third movie premiered, I was so into it. These were the three movies that, like, these were the best movies that it could ever be made, starring the best people uh, who could ever act in a movie, by the best writers and directors and special effects people who have ever lived. Like, it was so utterly obvious that, to me as a child anyway, that these were the best. And so I was very curious, like, with all with whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever, all these other movies that also have amazing effects that also, you know, and yes, he's seen all the movies 
so I wondered, you know, would it have the same appeal to him? And I said, was it great? And he said, yes, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Hmm. And, I, and I said, uh, I said, was it the best, you know, it, what, like, what's the best to you? And he said, you know, he said, it's, it's, it's really, 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 really great. He said, but I still like Harry Potter better. Hmm. And I don't know if that's because we're reading the books. I don't know if it's because of, you know, the way he's seeing the movies. I don't know if it's because he had the Lego Harry Potter game on his iPad. But the idea to me as a, as an eight-year-old that somebody would suggest another eight-year-old suggest to me that something was better than Star Wars, like you'd have to be mad, mm-hmm. you know, but now there are even, even for kids, even for little kids, there's so much else out there that it becomes, I think it's, it, it feels overwhelming to me when I think about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, well we're getting... I don't know which tangent we're on at this point, but the <laughs> but the thing about Star Wars at the time was the way you were describing it as being what you thought of as like the best movie with the best actors, the best writing, Everything. the best special effects. Well, but also, you know, it it was such a um I think the one reason it 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 was and felt so special was that it was made by people who love the kind of stuff that young people like. Right. Meaning Movies, adventure, uh, sci-fi, uh, cuteness, <laughs> and like so. I mean, what 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 was what was kind of amazing about Star Wars? A lot of ways, it was amazing. It, it like joins, I guess, in the history that we've cobbled together. It joins things like Star or like uh, Jaws in representing the creation of the summer blockbuster. Right. But the the other part was that I mean, it really, really it was a true like four quadrant movie. It, it appealed to a lot of people. But like, think about like what is what all is in Star Wars. I mean, it's got, it's got, and you know, there's been endless, uh, you can go to, is it Michael Heileman? The guy at Squarespace has a site called Kit Bashed, where he does all kinds of amazing analysis of Star Wars stuff. We'll put it in show notes. Uh, he talks a lot about this stuff. You know, uh, you take George Lucas's influences of everything from Joseph Campbell to uh, Kurosawa to uh, Stanley Kubrick to this, this uh, Canadian, um, this Canadian filmmaker I just learned about who made these uh, like audio pastiche movies that were very influential on him. It's where like the name of uh, Finn's Finn's number and Princess Leia's cell are named after a movie this guy did in the sixties. Oh. And anyway, but you got all of that. Plus, you've got you've got basically like you've got aerial dogfights. You've got you've got Chewbacca. You've got R two D two. You've got it's just every. It felt like every couple minutes there was something else happening that was the greatest distillation of that kind of thing. Uh, so like, you know, you've seen lots of people like swing over a chasm with a rope, but when Luke did it, it felt like like the canonical version of that (laughs) or, or, you know, just screaming and running down a hallway, shooting guns. Like there's just so much in that movie that, so I guess I don't mean this all just in the service of being nostalgic. It's just that I don't, I can't tell you how many things like that come out in a given year anymore that really feel, feel like a. Uh, almost a recreation of the genre or a reinterpretation of a genre or something where you're going, okay, uh, if you describe this to me, I, I could not have told you how I would feel versus how I actually felt seeing it. Uh, for me today, that would be something like the Mad Max Fury Road movie or something like the movies of Edgar Wright, where I really feel like there's something fundamentally different happening in a movie. I mean, not fundamentally different. It's still, you know, they're shooting film or whatever, or, you know, shooting film style movies. But uh, it's just that, for us, that was such a uh, such a shock um, that I think it. That's one reason it stuck with us for so long. Totally uh, agree. 
we 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 had a topic idea that actually kind of relates to something we were talking about about two hours ago um, <laughs> when we started out. But um, yeah, let me think about that. Maybe you want to tell me about something you like. Sure. Let me tell you about uh, Smile. Smile. These guys are great. They are a software company that uh, has always made some of my favorite apps for iOS now and and back in the old days for Mac OS X. They still make some of my favorite apps for both of these platforms. The one I want to tell you about today is Text Expander. Merlin is a text expander, a guru, and I am, a, I would still put myself in the novice to intermediate level. But what I love about text expander is there's a little something in there for everybody, regardless of how integrated you want it to be in your workflow. And let me tell you what text expander is. Basically, it lets you create a snippet or actually many snippets of text that expand inside of an app. So I'll give you the first example of, of this and what I think most people start out using text expander for, even though it can do a whole lot more signatures in an email. So for example, if, if Merlin and I are emailing back and forth, I don't need very much of a signature. He's already got my info. He already knows how to contact me. Right. But if I'm sending out a proposal to a company who wants to sponsor back to work, I might put in a very different signature. I might put in one that has some URLs. It has my phone number on it things like that. What if I'm replying to somebody at a professional level? Maybe I might be doing some work with them. Uh, maybe I don't want that mar- much of a marketing kind of a signature, right? Well, I don't want to have to cut and paste these things or find them in a clipboard thing or have them in a sticky. I just want to be able to type something really quick and easy and it's just going to paste it, drop it right in there, like auto type it for me. And that's exactly how Text Expander works. You might want to map these. You might want to come up with a little convention. So for me, it's uh, I use a semicolon to start out these little abbreviations. So if I'm ready to send off that email, I do semicolon SIG1. And that, boom, it's going to paste in. That's my, this is a friend uh, thing that just says, you know, your friend, comma, Dan, or whatever is semicolon sig2 maybe that's the more marketing one that has all our urls and our phone numbers our physical address physical address it's another example if you find you're typing things over and over again like a phone number like an address you could do semicolon addr boom drops in your address oh you get a work address semicolon work one you got to post office box semicolon po box drops in your address there's so many little things that you can do that just save you time and save you from typing the same thing over and over and over again you can do the same thing with a url oh you have you want to make amazon affiliate links you can do it with amazon affiliate links because they have this thing where you can actually set it up so that it will prompt you for something or it can grab the contents of the clipboard and insert it for you so if you want to make like an amazon affiliate link because you're going to be recommending a microphone or something like that you could do you know, semicolon AMA or AMZ or whatever it is, it'll take what's in the clipboard, put it in there. It'll give you a little dialogue box. so You can paste that little Amazon ID in it. There's so many things that you can do. I haven't even talked about the stuff that you can do with, uh, with this like form thing. So that if you are fine that you're answering the same kind of like support email or inquiry email over and over again, you can do a little thing where you type it in, boom, it pops up a thing, lets you type in the, the recipient's name, and then you can type in a name of their product or name of their service. And it'll compose a whole email for you. So much stuff you can do. Merlin and uh, and it even now suggests abbreviations. So it's like watching what you type, and if it sees that you type the same thing multiple times, it'll say, you know, you type this a bunch of times. Maybe you want to make a snippet. Of course, you can turn that off if it's too creepy. But they don't send anything back. They're really nice about your privacy. Text Expander Five costs forty four ninety five. Upgrades 
if you're an existing user. $19.95. So go check this out. Text Expander 5. It's amazing. All your, your snippets are synced with iCloud or Dropbox. Fully compatible with El Capitan. Go to smilesoftware.com slash B2W. smilesoftware.com slash B2W to download a free demo of Text Expander and improve your communication. It's a really great stuff. Thanks very much to Smile for supporting 5x5 and back to work. Get it. Get it. There's no reason you should ever have to type something twice. I never want to have to type my mailing address, my phone number, or my email address again. I think that if you just had snippets for those three things, your life would improve. Seriously. It's crazy. I mean, the other, the other one, I, I haven't mentioned this one probably in a year or so, but the other one is I, I used to frequently misspell my first name. I would be typing fast <laughs> and I would, I would sign something, um, Melrin. M-E-L-R-I-N, which is not my name. No, it is not. No, and so uh, because I'm a real canny uh, fella, I created a text expander snippet that when I type Melrin, it automatically changes it to Merlin. And now I just hear bloop, and I go, whoop, a little bit less of a dumbass today. Right. It's, uh, it's the best. You know, back in the old days on the Bash uh, command prompt, you know, you... you alias, you, baby, alias. Yeah, you would use an <laughs> alias for like, oh, you know what? I, I'm always typing... You know, instead of LS, I type SL sometimes. So sw- swap that for me in the bash shell. You can do things like that too. It's it's such a, a, f- a fun thing that, that really anything that has to do with keyboard typing, uh, it, it can watch that and swap it out for you. What a, what well, a, and what and a putting cool in images. Tip, I mean, there's like things like, I've mentioned this one before, but you know, you can drop in images. If you want to have like a, an image of your signature, right. you can drop that in by typing a couple letters, even in places where you think it wouldn't work. So for example, every week when I put out Roderick on the line, I go to iTunes, I've got to prepare all the metadata and I go to the, whatever it's called, album art or whatever it's called. I click on that tab and I type four letters, R-O-T-L, or I guess five letters, R-O-T-L-I. And the thing is, there's no, here's the crazy part. <laughs> um, there is no field to type in album art. So when I type R-O-T-L-I, here's what I hear. Because it's going, because it's saying you can't type here, dummy. But then when I hit R-O-T-L-I, it knows, oh, you're just using text expander to paste right, something in right, here. Right, right. And so it pastes in the image. I never have to go and find that image again. And it was the best Christmas ever. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about, I think, um, was as a result of having so much stuff out there. I don't know. I, I know. So I'm, I should let you talk about the topic because I'm, I'm ready to jump ahead on the topic and bring it back to something we talked about earlier. All right. But, um, yeah. Tell me what you want to talk about here. Well, you're, you're, you have you have concerns about chocolate. Uh, I mean, it, it's not it's not tremendous concerns, but yeah, I I I do because. Uh, there, there is this thing that's been floating around, and it's apparently it's a news story that it's not the first time that this has happened. But there's somebody, a writer who's based in Dallas, I think, who exposed this uh, controversy that there is a chocolatier or chocolate now a chocolate maker who. They're called, I believe they're called the Mast Brothers, but that's Mast not Mast Brothers are two guys that have made a big business out of uh, selling artisanal chocolate right. that they, using a phrase that I never, no, I wish no, I could No, let's say it the, once and never say it again. And it, I, I, I have so much to say about this. That's not about the topic. That's about the meta topic. I had never heard of this stuff 
until three days ago, and now I never want to hear about it again. What is what is what is the phrase they use to describe their uh, artisanal uh, chocolate? I will say it once, and please let's never let's agree to never say it again. Bean to bar, bean to bar, bean to bar, bean to bar. Now we said it four times. Yeah, and so what? But but these uh, and I, I'm I'm just saying all this phonetically. I had no idea this stuff even existed. Me neither. And but no, or no, that no it, but it matters. But I'm not I'm not trying to be meta hipster guy. I'm just saying like <laughs> it's just weird. I have a special view point of view into this story as somebody who had no idea. Uh, like on in, in five different levels that this was a thing and that it was a thing about a thing or that there was a thing about a thing about a thing. So mm-hmm. this is fascinating to me because this is what happens when you don't watch the news and don't go to Whole Foods mm-hmm. is that suddenly uh, stories fall out of the sky that everybody cares intensely about and you go like, what is happening? Right. What, do you people live in a shoebox diorama? What is this? What I can't even decide, figure out what you guys are mad about. So these these Mass Brothers guys who have the classic kind of like, they they kind, they look like foodie guys. They've right. got the big beards and they wear lab coats and, and, and they have this beautiful packaging and they sell this fancy chocolate for, I guess, something like $10 a bar. Right. And so it, it has been revealed uh it has been it has been suggested uh, that that they have taken some shortcuts early in their career, and anyway, this, so basically it was it was kind of a hit job, but it sounds like there was some basis in reality that basically at one point in the early experimenting with their product, they had that was not locally locally sourced single utter beans that ba- <laughs> right. And well, <laughs> have, you heard, about, have you heard about the single utter thing? Have you heard <sighs> about that? Uh, no, I haven't heard that. Oh one. yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, no. If you want to get the really good cheese, it has to come from a single cow. Oh, just one cow. Yeah. Single See, I prefer utter. I prefer uh, sing, single titty cheese. I I don't need. I want it all out of exactly the same. I want you to squeeze this one. You make me one little bite of cheese. That's what I want. Wow. So uh, and so. Well, so here's my here's my understanding yes. of it is that they were they w- 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 part of their claim they were to experimenting fame experimenting early on. Yeah, part of their claim to f- to fame was that they they oversaw the whole process, and and I think we have a lot of fussy coffee drinkers and. You know, you can buy your own raw coffee bean and then you can roast that yourself like in your own oven and then you can grind it and then you can make your co- your morning coffee all all on your own, all with doing that. And if you were to get really retentive, maybe you would even have your own coffee plant that you would grow in your own garden. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid, I hate the word sourcing. It's another right. one of those, like, really, is that a word that we need? Do we really need the word sourcing? But I guess it means something, it, which guess. means locating and buying. Right. But and more specifically, I think what it means is that you are very careful about choosing where something comes from. And I think implicit in the idea of sourcing is that it is usually you're trying to do something that's environmentally sustainable, often fair trade, uh, that people are being uh, uh, you know compensated adequately for what they get. We're not you know raping the land to get this, and that it is it comes from a known good place. And I think there's usually an implication, like that made the joke about the single letter cheese or whatever, but I think there's also the sense of, we know maybe like what farm this came from. We might not even know like which part of the farm this came from. Right. And that, the, and that in fact, beyond all of the fussiness of this stuff, you will actually get a product that is more authentic and interesting, and it may have differences in, in different qualities to it based on where that came from. That's part of the whole thing with being a coffee person is you discover like, oh, these, these beans are different at this time of year and so forth. Right. And it's, it's, it's authenticity all the way down. But in this instance, is that fair to say that like they're, they're, they have, and they have really apparently made this a big part of, of their, their company. This was part of their brand identity was we are doing the 
the the full stack. We are doing it from full be- stack chocolate solution, r- right? And you know, like I remember back when I back in like the corked dot uh, com days, um, that what kind of led up to that was I visited like the uh, like for Cork, work. Tell people what corked is. Co- oh, corked dot com c o r k d dot com was a site that I did with. Uh, I wrote the code and Dan Cedarholm, amazing designer behind Dribble, uh, did the did the design. And we started a, a site that was sort of like, we like wine and we like drinking wine and talking about it, but we're not snobs and we don't. It's like a social network for wine. Yeah, right? So we did a social network about it for, you know, with, with an emphasis for not being too uh, uppity and retentive about it, but really down to earth and just talking about stuff that, that we like as it relates to wine. And so it, it, back in those days, I was lucky enough to on it for the company I was working for, they had like a company retreat i guess you would say in in like slo so i got to like visit a couple vineyards and 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 i found that some of the vineyards were like we have all of our wine it all comes right from here you look look out there that's where we grow it and there were other vineyards that are like we wanted to make uh chardonnay but we couldn't grow good chardonnay grapes here so we bring them in and then we we bottle them and produce them and we you know mix them with these different vineyards and here and whatever and like that wasn't especially off-putting to me. Their wine was good. I didn't really care. It's oh, it all comes from Central Coast. That's cool. But they the the issue here, I think, with the Mass Brothers isn't is that they made a different claim, and that part that claim was also part of their success. Is that people thought, in other words, they felt kind of duped because here these guys were being more chocolatiers, uh, and as opposed to chocolate makers, or that part of what they did was obtain chocolate. And but the way that this piece goes on about they keep using the phrase they bought chocolate and melted it down like you. When, almost, when I first heard it reported, it sounded like <laughs> when I first heard this, we were like again we were I, th- I think I first heard about this maybe the night before we went out of town, but I heard something about it. And in my mind, in my the, in my mind's eye, I was imagining uh, this, this hipster Portland looking guy <laughs> right. in, in a in a butcher's coat, like walking into Walgreens and buying seven hundred Hershey bars, <laughs> right, and melting them down, breaking them into thirds, and then and then and then just melting them <laughs> right in, in in his oven on a cookie sheet. That's exactly exactly uh, what it, it Pro- what probably it, while cackling and holding <laughs> giant bags with dollar signs. Right, on it's got them. like a cauldron, you know. But that's like that's like what they make it sound like is a. And then they were buying the chocolate and melting it down. Well, there are a lot of chocolatiers as opposed to chocolate makers who are getting really amazing chocolate that there is no way that they could get or produce themselves, and they're using it to make truffles or bars or creations or whatever. And it's perfectly normal and fine to do this in the chocolate. That's okay. It's okay to do that. I guess the problem is that it's not okay to say. It's not what they said they were doing. It's not what they said they were doing. And here's the elephant in the room is it's, and I got to want to say, there's so much, I I could could give a flying fig about this entire affair, except how much it it brings up something that's very interesting to me, which is, as we talked about, this idea of authenticity and why it matters to us and what it means when we feel like somebody else is being inauthentic. Because I think that that is that is much less about chocolate and much more about our own identity. Right. That's the part that drives us crazy. Yes. Well, but um, and I'd love to talk about that. But but in this case, yeah, I mean, so yeah, what you're describing here, it's it's, it's certainly somewhat uh, it it. I mean, people want to like chop these guys' heads off. Like, oh, look at them. They didn't used to have beards. Now they're hipsters. And it's like, well, you, what do you what do you think people are buying? That's like seeing stuff to me. That's that's equivalent to saying that you know that actor used to be a face and now they're a heel. They're insincere. It's like, really? 
or, or, or going, oh, you know, that actress, she didn't know she doesn't always play that part. Sometimes she plays different parts. You go, yeah, exactly. That's why they're an actress. <laughs> it's, it's a performance. But, but the thing is, the part of the performance that they, that people are going to, they're accusing them of screwing up is, is as you say, it doesn't matter. How, the thing is, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good the chocolate is. It matters whether they, whether they were true to what people perceived their brand to be. Right. And what everything that people telegraph, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. No, maybe no, these this guys is, are the giantest douche nozzles in the world and they should be hanged. I don't know. It seems like what everybody wants right now, because there's a lot of schadenfreude going around about this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, I, just don't care <laughs> but but it's interesting to me to watch it's to me it's it's i'm sitting here looking at the wikipedia page for the emperor's new clothes it's just there's there's, uh, there's so much to say about this there's something we are all so suspicious about other people's hypocrisies we're so suspicious about whether someone is as authentic as they appear to be and it's just amazing how quickly we people turn into a mob at the slightest hint that something, no matter how it really, really super important it is, like that, that, that it might not be what that person says it is. It's just, it's amazing the hair trigger that we have gotten for, for hanging people over stuff like that. So, and anyway, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I guess I should go maybe learn more about this and, and read up on this so I don't upset the chocolate community. Right. But what's, I mean, what's, what's your take on it? Well, the part of it that's interesting to me are really, you, you touched on a bunch of that is that is when it comes to the, concept of authenticity of making a claim that isn't you know isn't completely transparent and there are apparently the same author who wrote this expose that you know broke this story uh has done the same thing with another kind of chocolate company and even when that one sounds like that was pretty outrageous the noca one i think are you reading this one and i'm reading this in eater Yes, I believe that is where it is. Thank you. Yeah, put it in show notes. Cool. And uh, the the writer's very good and, and and really knows it's a he writing it? I forget. Uh the author Ellen, really Helen Ross. Okay, so she really knows her stuff and really understands chocolate and really understands this industry and it you know, it's it's you know, I guess I guess like companies probably do this thing uh, a lot where you know, they say they say we when it was really just one person or they say I when they're representing their full team. You know, you can imagine uh, someone's up on stage talking about this amazing new thing that they've built, this gadget or or app or whatever it is saying, oh, we, you know, the, my, my vision was always to do this, that and the other thing. And may, maybe that was their vision. But maybe their vision was influenced by the 15 people on their team who sat with them in the meetings sharing their ideas too. And that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the whole Mad Men thing of like the the person who's leading the project maybe is getting credit for the success of the project. When in reality, it it's really the work of a lot of other people. I feel like this is a similar thing. And I guess the question behind all of that is the, the motive for that. Is it simply a matter of they, they didn't communicate it properly because they didn't think it was important? Uh, to 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 explain that you know here come try our chocolate bars some of which uh, have been made with chocolate that we sourced from France and some we made here like is that important well it becomes important when you you make it like if you and I decided we wanted to make chocolate bars just to start up a little thing where we're making chocolate bars you know we we could do that and I think there would be some people who would want to taste the Merlin and Dan uh, chocolate bars just because they're interested in 
trying our chocolate bars. And for us, part of our brand and identity wouldn't necessarily been that that we're roasting our own chocolate beans or whatever you do. Uh, but that that was their claim to fame. That was their whole artisanal uh, thing. That was their whole we're we're two guys in Brooklyn and we make it in our apartment and we have beards and we're hipsters. And like that was par- such a core part of their identity. And it it seems like the same kind of people who would be so excited to try chocolate that was made by two guys with beards in in Brooklyn are the same people who would be equally outraged to discover that the chocolate was not made from the bean. You know what I mean? And, and and whereas to people like us, it's like, well, I'm not going to spend $10 on a bar of chocolate anyway. Well, yeah. And, but there's this, and and I, I feel like, hmm, I, I, I feel unusually, even for me, underprepared in terms of knowing the exact details of what went down with this. Cause that's not the part that interests me. <laughs> the part that interests me is this other thing that, that I do feel qualified to talk about, which is, let's put it this way. Okay. So we have many options for doing all kinds of different things today. And whether that's foods, uh, whether that's, uh, media, but there's a couple things that have always, they've always been there. But like I think have become very, very important in the last few years Uh, at at a time when there are so many options. There are certain things that we really look for today. First of all, nobody likes feeling like a rube. You would like to feel like there's I I bet you more than 50 percent of the population believes they are way smarter than than more than 50 percent of the population. You know what I mean? I bet most of us think we're pretty smart and most of us think we have pretty good taste and most of us would like to be recognized for the good decisions that we have made. I think that that's, that's a general observation, but here's a couple of things. One is there are reasons to be picky about what you get in life, whether that's your food or your car or whatever. I mean, just, there's a really obvious concern. There's one concern is like, you know, think about Upton Sinclair in the jungle. Like you don't want, you don't want to buy or use goods that are dangerous to yourself or others. Right? Like, you know, we were talking about this the other day when, you know, there's that whole thing now about the hoverboards that have gotten so popular having these problems of like electricity problems and, and, you know, supposedly spontaneously going on fire. And I was saying to my wife, how is it, that used to be such a more common thing when I was a kid. Of stuff catching fire and... Well, yeah, you just have appliance fires for no reason. Like it would just happen. And now today there's been a lot of stuff to make that safer. That's all really good. You would like to have food for your family that is, that is safe. But then there's, there's also a continuum. Uh, So, I mean, I just want to acknowledge that. And then there's this other part that's about values. And again, I'm not slagging. I'm just, but I am saying like, for example, think about what happened with VW and their diesel emissions, because that, the fact that they were uh, apparently cheating on emissions tests was against the values of the people who had made the decision to buy that car for that reason. Right. And maybe, maybe that's people's beef with the chocolate boys, but in any case, so you've got, you've got the, 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 the straight up legitimate desire to, to buy things that are not harmful to yourself or others. And in some ways that even shades into the fair trade stuff. You don't want to, you don't want to like buy clothes that were made by slaves. I mean, that's not fun. You don't want to do that. So there's the, there's the, uh, the safety, safety issues, safety, uh, stuff. There's the, uh, value stuff. But then I think there's a third level that has become extremely important today that goes beyond those things, but includes those things. And that's the story. You think about it. Think about Shark Tank. <laughs> think about any new thing you hear about. There's always a story. Right. When eBay first came out, the story was that this massively popular business was actually started as a way to be able to sell Pez dispensers, which is apparently not, not strictly true. 
but that was the story. If you, your business has to have a story, when you go on Shark Tank, it it it, it helps to it helps a lot to talk about like when your husband was in the service and you start crying and talking about why you started this business. Well, that's part of the story, right? So anyway, the case that I'm trying to make is that there's some, there's something valuable to all of those things especially from good to good. I think it's a good idea not to buy spoiled pork. I think it's probably a pretty good idea not to buy stuff made by slaves if you can avoid it. I think it's probably a, a pretty good idea to buy things or use things that comport with your personal values and worldview. And I think it's, it's totally understandable to want to support the places where the story matches with your own desire for a narrative. Right? Yeah. So for me, going to that bookstore in town, that's part of the story. The story is, if, if it turned out that that place was owned by Starbucks, I, I don't know. I'd still probably like going there, but I wouldn't go out of my way to go there. Right. Because I'd feel like I got fooled a little bit. So that, to me, is the interesting part of this. Because all of that stuff has a basis in reality. And this even gets us into something I put, put in show notes here, the idea of something called Veblen goods. Veblen goods are a kind of... Let me just read the definition because it'll, it puts it better than I do. But Veblen goods are what you could think of as, as luxury goods, but they have a special meaning. Veblen goods are things that defy the law of supply and demand. With Veblen goods, let me read what it says here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Veblen goods are types of material commodities for which the demand is proportional to its high price, which is an apparent contradiction of the law of demand. Veblen goods also are commodities that function as positional goods. Luxury goods such as expensive wines, jewelry, fashion designer handbags, and luxury cars, which, here's the important part, which are in demand because of the high prices that are asked for them. Right? Right. So, the, the, fact, the fact that this is the most expensive and, and best thing is why I bought it. Ex- well, it's the fact that it's the most expensive. It, it, it's not a question. It could not be the best. The best. It's it could just be the, the most best. expensive. And I'm not even, we're not even yet getting into whether that's a status thing or something where you're trying to just make yourself feel good or you feel you deserve something. But I don't know. To me, like what starts out at this, this this dumb story about two guys with beers making chocolate actually says a lot about how we think about what we buy, use, purchase, uh, and trade in today. It's, there's so much of our own identity tied up in this stuff. Uh, and I think there's still a lot to say about that. Do you tell me about something you like? Oh, sure. I can tell you about, uh, about our friends over at Linda. 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 Que Linda. This episode is brought to you by Linda. L-Y-N-D-A. Linda is the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses that will help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. And they're offering a free 10-day trial to our listeners. They've set up a special URL for our listeners Going to this URL will support the show. It will let Linda know that you are listening and uh, it will help us in that way. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work spelled out. When you go there, you sign up for your 10-day free trial. You'll have access to all of the videos that they make there. And they do make the best videos. And the way that they make them is very smart because a lot of the time you're not you're not necessarily interested in or you don't have the time to sit down and spend 45 minutes to an hour to take a course on an entire thing. Like, let's say you're about to go edit your podcast in Logic and you wonder, oh man, there was this part where the Skype dropped down and I want to edit that out, but what's the best way to do it? And what's, aren't there shortcuts that I could use? Like, what do I hold down this key or that key and the documentation isn't very good and YouTube videos on it were really terrible? Well, guess what? There's going to be a great course on Linda about how to do editing in Logic, but guess what? It will be segmented into tiny little sections so that you can jump in and just watch the thing that you want to watch and get the answer that you are looking for and exactly that answer and just that answer 
and get back out and get back to work and you want to watch the course uh, later, the full thing later, you can do that because there's no limit on how many times you can watch these things. There's no limit on uh, the order that you watch them. You can download them to your iOS device or your Android device and watch them there. You can stream them from the web. Thousands of these courses taught by experts and uh, it's it's really just an amazing deal. Unlimited access on hundreds of topics for one flat rate. So go check it out, Linda. And you know what? Holidays are a fun time to do this. You get a couple weeks off of work or something and you want to come back and be like a Photoshop guru or something. Mm-hmm. Now's the time to do it. Sit back, watch some courses and learn something awesome. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. Sign up for your free day trial and support this show in the process. Thanks to Linda for making this show possible. Merlin Mann. Talk box. Arthur Lipset is the name of the Canadian director I was thinking of. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. This is all over the map. I'm realizing what a terribly fragmented non-argument uh, I'm making here. I, I talked like a lot so there. Far. Do you want to jump in here? No, I, like where you're, I like where you're going with this. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, so here's what I'm thinking about. Um, and again, like, you, know, uh, you know, buy what you like. We should all be happy, but, but there's, 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 you're not, you're not chastising people for getting interested and excited about buying a $10 bar of chocolate. If that's what they want to bar or I buy, buy all or, kinds of dumb stuff. Sure. Like everybody's got, everybody's got their reasons. I'm just, I'm interested in this, this more to me, ineffable human factor that happens on a person by person basis that I think ends up saying a lot about how we live today. That's interesting. And it, 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 it's not to cast an aspersion. It's just a way to talk about how we form our identity today. And so what am I thinking of here? Okay. Um, it's interesting. Like, uh, I, uh, I used to be a big fan of hip hop and nice. I am a big fan of the Wu-Tang clan and the Wu-Tang clan just put out, you know, the CD. The famously oh, had, had, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They, but the, 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 the whole bit was that, I mean, it was, it's obviously, it's a kind of a high level art experiment in some ways that they made a CD where there was exactly one copy ever made that would be sold to exactly one person. Isn't that um, weird? It's really, it's really, it's really interesting. But the thing is, that is, that's such a funny example. Like, it's hard to even know how much of that is meant to be a parody. And then that dingling guy bought a copy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's not the part I'm talking about. The part that's interesting is that in that case, it's the ultimate Veblen good in some ways. That this is a thing that, that, so it's funny because even how I'm parsing this shows you how weird this is. So is that the only copy that exists in the entire world? Was everything used to make that disc destroyed? Is there absolutely no way to reproduce that now that that one is made? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'll bet that's the idea. The, right. I, the idea is that... Like, that is, is that, truly a one-of-a-kind... Like, if you made a sculpture out of clay, like, that's it. Right, right. Even more than, like, the Mona Lisa, for example, yeah. or something. Because cause we've seen the Mona Lisa. We know what the Mona Lisa looks like. Uh, somebody with some skills in painting can and has reproduced the Mona Lisa because it's the most widely known painting in the Western world, probably. But, but, but in this case, we don't know what's on, we don't know what, what that CD is. We don't know those songs. Uh, theoretically, the only person who's heard that is that, that dingling guy who bought it. But Who oh, says he hasn't played it yet. Really? Is that right? Yeah, he's saving it for a special time. That's hilarious. But, but all I'm trying to get at is this. Everything we know about the process, pretty much, of making that CD has everything to do with its scarcity and virtually nothing to do with what's actually on it. Because the point is not <laughs> even what's on there. It's the fact that you've got something that nobody else can have. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm using the term right. That sounds like the ultimate Veblen good to me. So, so two things that are interesting about that, you know, first of all, and what did it cost? Like a million dollars or something like that? Something like that. But 
let's think about two angles on that. Well, what if it turned out that that wasn't the only copy and that there were now two copies and you could buy, let's say, let's say you say, oh, you know what? We screwed up. We have two of them now. Everything's (laughs) priced to move. Now there's two copies of this. And so uh, if you got a million bucks, you could buy it. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I'll tell you what. We'll make them both $500,000. So we'll recoup our costs, but you also get one of the only two copies in the entire universe. It would have pretty much like zero appeal because the whole appeal of the product was that there's only one that exists. So you can extend that a little bit and say like, oh, there's only five of these that will ever be made and they have this mark on them. Right, etc. You see, this all the way down to comic books, one of a thousand signed by these people. But in that instance, it's a pure Veblen good. It seems, to, or whatever you want to call it, it's it's purely an object of scarcity and cost. If it didn't cost a million dollars, it wouldn't be as interesting. Let's say you made one copy of it and it was five dollars, <laughs> not as appealing to people. Right. Or if there's ten copies, it suddenly becomes a lot less interesting. So the but given that the main value of that is its scarcity, that's the story. The story is that there's only the one of this thing and it is scarce. So as soon as there's the idea that there even could be one more of those, everybody sees it as a fraud. Everybody sees it and goes, ah, because we, we trusted you in a world where it would be easy and economically viable to cheat on this. You didn't. And so that's why now we're disappointed. That there's actually two copies of this Wu-Tang CD. Do you see what I'm saying here? I think that's the kind of thing on a much, uh, more small human level that you're seeing with the chocolate stuff is that when we entrust these companies to do the right thing for us or to be who we want to be on our behalf and then they don't live up to that it's like 10 times disappointing because it's like the ultimate like shame on me feeling right shame on me for believing that these guys were actually starting with the bean like i really got duped and i was you know they were supposed to write, but like they were my chocolate company. Like these guys were, they were the ones that I went to because I knew that they were legit. I, I, I sometimes in conversations with people about fancy, you know, increasingly fancy things like coffee or I guess like chocolate or like any of that stuff or, or, you know, cookware, anything like I, I feel like there is so much pressure to have a strong opinion. There's so much pressure to have a strong opinion and be able to defend it about why you chose this particular kind of thing. It's not enough to just say like, oh, this is a chocolate and I like it. Like you have to have a reason. It is locally sourced. It is artisanal. They give half of their profits to charity and they're only going to make six bars this year. And there are innumerable stories of places where, you know, things have been made to look scarce that weren't. There's a story in that particular article about basically recanting uh, whiskey into different bottles and then saying there's not much of it. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's interesting because all that stuff starts from a place that is extremely logical and about survival and safety. But I, I don't think it's that complex or difficult to understand how that becomes more about our identity, especially, especially if you think about like how we rep today, how, how people decide, how people use the objects in their life to help define who they are to other people. Right. It almost becomes like if you have that bag from that Seattle company, like that's part of your identity in a way. You know what I mean? That like, like, mm-hmm. you, or, or you want to fit into the club where the kind of person who's also in that club has this kind of bag. And you're, you know, it's funny because like, you know, when you think back to high school, for example, like people in high school, 
I think they they would they would find a look or they would do something the, the way that they would dress or whatever that in, in their mind they had invented. But in reality, they they didn't invent it. The generation before them invented it, or the generation ten times before them invented it, or or really a lot of people invented it at about the same time, and it, that's how it becomes a look. You know what I mean? And th- but these people, like every kid, eventually in, invents kickball. You know, because oh, right, right, right. you know, and, and, and it almost I feel like there's that kind of attachment to something that people are still, you know, maybe from an evolutionary reason or, or protection reason, we all want to kind of be a part of a club, you know, we want to, we want to like something and we want to not like this other thing. And we want to be in this group and we want everyone to know that we're in this group, but we want to well, do yeah, it in a and subtle it's also, way. It's also paradoxical too, though, because there's all these, these elements of paradox to it, because on the one hand, there is the element of wanting to be accepted or to fit in because you are an individual, right? Isn't that kind of funny that we end up, we, we, part, part of what makes us want to, makes us, you know, rep well with strangers is to have our own look. So fitting in, in order to fit in, there has to be something about you that's unique. Uh, I'm thinking, for some reason, I'm thinking about Don Cheadle's character in Boogie Nights. Um, the guy who like, obviously is like, he's always trying on like the fad of the day. Right. You remember that? Like he yes. shows up in the cornrows, like looking like Rick James. He decides for a while that he's going to be a cowboy. And it's just, he's just searching for some kind of an identity that'll make sense. But then there's also, you know, in that, in his case, like I, I know he's such a sad sack character, but also anybody who's trying something on like that, you will, the other, another paradox is that you want to seem modern, but not like a dilettante. You don't want to seem like somebody who's just picked up on a fad. Oh man, have you heard all this stuff about adult coloring books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been doing that for years. What, really? I just heard about it like this week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing that for years. It's right. Like, like it's you don't want to be a dingaling who's following fads, but you want to see seem so current that it's actually kind of on the way out for you. I think that's that's a pretty common thing. <laughs> that's the best way I've ever heard that described. <laughs> no, really. I mean that that is such a. Th- thing and and it's almost like this competitive thing of like oh yo you went to that western yeah I, i've been going there for about a year and i kind of played out and the good chef left and oh my but god it's good i wish you, you could have gone out. there i wish you could have gone there when it was still good right oh my god oh mass brothers chocolate yeah i've known about that for a while now yeah i've known about that for a while. <laughs> yeah i i source my beans i can't even tell you where i get them from it's a, it's a secret location right but you know and i I'm sorry. I don't mean to be dismissive or unkind because people are how they are. But I would like to think that that kind of an attitude doesn't exist. And then I go to the mall and I just go and I look around. and I'm like, oh, my God, like I haven't been in the mall in a few months. And somehow all these people have telegraphed this signal about this same change in wardrobe. A few years ago, like it was ladies in pirate pirate boots. This year, every it's ladies with boots with straps on them. I'm like, I just what, what just happened? I went to the mall for the first time, and everybody looks like they went to the same place. So what do you do? Oh, you got to get your boots with the strap on from this place, not that place. Oh, you don't want to do that. And then at the other end, you've got then eventually you go down the adoption curve, and pretty soon, you know, the moms and grandmas and the dads and grandpas are buying the cheap version of that that you know anybody can get. But it's just it's it's so weird if you're not like, and I'm sure there are things about that with me. I'm sure I do things like that, but with things like fashion clothing or fashion in 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 cooking and food i feel like i just don't see it until it's already on the way out by which point it just seems weird that it ever existed right but you know like i think an example of what you're talking about and tell me if if this is along is like the and i I just say it i say it like a a regular person moleskin notebooks yeah 
you know that for a while that this was this was like a thing like if you had like a moleskin notebook you you researched it because you had to order it and and you know like you you were like some kind of cool notebook guy if you had one of these things you know right right and and uh you you know you like you treated it really nicely and then other people are like well i i just got my notebook at like the walgreens yours is seems to i i want a nice i want to be the kind of person that has a nice notebook and i want to write really cool things in it like that other person and she's the way she wrote in that notebook was her writing was i want writing like that you know and so so you saw it on pinterest and you're like that feels like me right and then all of a sudden now these notebooks they're in the barnes and noble and they're in everywhere you can get them at target they're everywhere and now that's just one of the many kinds of notebooks and then the person whose identity for a long time was I'm the person who has the special notebook that did the research. Now, now everyone, now you can get my notebook at Target. Well, that's good for the Moleskin people, but it's bad for me because my identity was I was the notebook person. And now I have to find an even more uh, notebook, but I'm going to justify right. finding that notebook, not because everyone has the Moleskin notebook now, but because you know what? I've switched to a fountain pen and I'm just not that happy with the quality of the paper. Oh, yeah, the yeah. No, I have, I have to source my notebooks from a different place in Italy now. Right, because yeah. they're, they're the only ones that take the ink of my fountain pen. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, we, we, we're, we're doing this in this jokey voice, but I have to tell you, that's exactly what it sounds like when yeah. people talk about this yeah. stuff. Whether, whether it's, whether it's uh, people I love like Marco talking about coffee. Now, Marco's a funny case, because you look at Marco and think about what Marco is, on the one hand, a snob about, but then on the other hand, what he's a different kind of anti-snob about. Like how much he just doesn't care about so many things and lets you know that. I think that's something we all do. He cares a lot about coffee in a specific way, but like part of being, uh, and, and, and you know, I love Marco. I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but like I get that. Like I was listening to him like on, on one of his shows recently and like I was realizing how often he goes way out of his way to remind you how much he doesn't like something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whether it's a certain kind of Christmas music or a Weezer song or or or, or, or whatever, um, or, you know, starting to write in Swift before three comes out or whatever. But I, I think we all do that because that's part of how we kind of design who we are. And then, you know, so like in the case of the notebook, well, then, the, then there's a backlash. People say, oh, these silly notebooks, what a scam. You could do this with anything. I've been writing on this kind of thing for a certain amount of time. See, so people come in and go, oh, what is it that you're writing? Oh, well, this is, <laughs> and then that becomes the next thing. But uh, I'm trying to bring this back to the, to the, the, the chocolate boys. Because, you know, it's, yeah, I guess, I guess it's kind of lame to, uh, be dishonest or to appear to be dishonest, even though we are all dishonest and we appear to be dishonest. We're just, we're so, when, when you, and I guess I feel like this goes straight back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is that times of confusion, there's so much out there that we really have to trust other people's, we don't like to admit it and we don't like to cop to it. Nobody, nobody likes to admit that they go into the voting booth with the voting guide from their throwaway paper or from the Democratic Party or whatever. That does not feel like a sane thing for somebody in their 40s to do. But I've done that. Have you ever done that? I mean, do you, do you know every ballot issue? Do you really know <laughs> what it means and how you should vote and what the implications are on every ballot issue? Well, here's the thing. If you do know that, there's probably other stuff you don't know about because you can't know everything, right? The whole point is in this big giant world that we have today, there's always going to be stuff that we can't know everything about, won't know everything about, and probably shouldn't know everything about. So that's why your relatives say to you, what's the best iPad or what's the best laptop? And you go, well, it depends on what you call best, right? And But we really, we... 
we would have to rely on somebody else's expertise to even put us in the right direction. But it's not cool. It's not cool. Like, it's one thing to say, to make a beautiful house and people go, oh, this looks, it looks like something out of Martha Stewart. And quite another thing for people to go, uh, you just repeated the entire design from the March Martha Stewart in here. And I can show you the picture. Like, that's, when you, if you were to run into that, wouldn't you go, ew, gross? Yeah. Right? Or like somebody who gets plastic surgery to look like a celebrity. It's like, that's deep in the uncanny valley and incredibly uncool. <laughs> right? So like, you know, if it's, it's one thing to play Kim Kardashian's video game or buy her or buy her emojis, I guess, but it would be another thing to, to actually go somewhere and say, I want these clothes that she wore and I want you to help me look like her. Like that, don't you think that's a bridge too far for a lot of people? Well, I think so. I think, you know, that, but that's how the trends all seem to get started is, you know, a, a celebrity wears something out of the house and enough people see it. And I was joking the other day and I, I was, I was talking to someone because it just very much like you were saying, like, I didn't get the memo that this, these are the kind of boots that women are supposed to be wearing right now. It, that thing kind of happens. And some of these styles, it's, it are, feels so weird. It feels like a dream. It it's does. Like, do you know what I'm talking about though? You just go somewhere and you're like, oh my God, everybody here has the same kind of jacket with the same kind of hood holding the same kind of purse. I'd never seen any of those things to, before. And it's almost like these people, there's some kind of a Borg informing people what all to wear. Cause I completely missed that memo. No, it's absolutely true. And I forget what it was, but one of these styles in particular just struck me as really funny. And I said, you know, all it's going to take is someone like, you know, I, a bad example these days because she's not in the spotlight as much, but like I always think of like Paris Hilton, you mm-hmm. know, like Paris Hilton is going to somehow like uh, use a belt and like strap a pillow around her uh, around her neck so that she can easily lay down and rest. And all of a sudden now there's people are going to start strapping pillows to their neck and then there will be a hoodie that has a built in pillow sewed into it. You know, and eventually that'll be it uh, at Old Navy, <laughs> you know, and that and that's right. the way that these things happen. And well, like the, I mean, like, here's one, the, the chain, uh, the wallet on a chain in the 90s, where like they used to call it a trucker wallet. And it's something that like you, the truckers used to have, they wanted to have their wallet, they would have to carry a large amount of cash, they had it in their pocket, and there was a chain to make sure people couldn't steal it. And then suddenly, one day, everybody had a wallet on a chain. And it was just a thing. It was kind of a thing in ska. It was kind of a thing in punk rock. It was kind of a thing in, in all kinds of like hipster culture. And like, and then one day it went away and there were still people who did it, but, but it's just one of those things where it's just this drive by cult phenomenon. It's like, it's like macrame or it's like decoupage or it's like any of those things where suddenly everyone had to do macrame and no one knows why. What about SUVs? Did we really need that many SUVs? Well, at first people said, oh, you know, certain people say, well, you know, we don't want these gas guzzlers. Then suddenly, mark, mark, everybody's got to have an Explorer or a Humvee. The bigger, the better. The more expensive, the better. Then gas got expensive again and we had a war and people said, oh, maybe we shouldn't get this. You know what I heard last on the radio? Now. Again, people are buying SUVs again because gas is low. It's just, it's just weird. And, and the, the part that makes this thorny is that every single person doing that is an individual person with their own reasons. Every woman buying the strappy boots or, the, or, or that particular jacket or that particular purse, they all have their reasons. One of the things, I was talking to somebody on Slack about this the other day. One of the things that's so maddening is you start, like you ever had this happen like on Twitter, somebody says something. Like, oh, or in my case, or maybe in your case, you ever had somebody say, oh, God, you're such an Apple fanboy. Oh, yeah. And then like two hours later, somebody else goes, oh, you are such an Apple hater. And the thing <laughs> is, and so that, the, the thing is, what those people don't share with me is being me. So they don't have to live with that weirdness of people. Some people dislike me because of this. Some people dislike me because of that and having them be different. That feels like insanity. 
But the truth is, the thing you always have to remember is each one of those people is different people. Each one of those is a different person with their own reasons for everything that they do. It's only when we uh, uh, kind of collect people in these groups that there's enough similarity that stuff starts to seem completely bananas. Do you know what I mean? I totally do. And it, it's that trend. It's like watching the trend. And I always wonder, what about the people who were sort of there before there was uh, a a trend, you know, what about the, the like guy who lived in Seattle for a long time and decided that, oh, this like Filson bag is exactly the kind of bag that I want. And no one really had a Filson bag and except the, you know, lumberjacks or whatever. And so he went and got one and like, right. he's, he's legit. Right. But even though he's been carrying this bag now for 15 years, it's one bag. Now he's like a poser because, oh, you got a Filson bag. You're one of them, you know? Well, no, I've had this bag for a long time and I'm not going to stop carrying this bag just because it's trendy and fashionable uh, for, for, for you guys in, you know, in Austin to have one. I've had right. this bag and, and my dad had a bag like this and, you know, I'm going to continue to use it even when it goes out of fashion. And, right, right, you know, right. so I. But it, yeah, and the, the people who are most miffed in a situation, it seems to me. So you got the people, let's say there's somebody where you, you may not even, this is true for beers. This is true. Like think about like every few years, there's another cheap beer that comes along that catches on with people through whatever reasons of marketing or virality. You know, at different times that's been papsed several times. Remember Rolling Rock? I remember when Rolling Rock first got popular in late 80s, early 90s. And my friends from Philadelphia were like, are you kidding me? Like that's the crappiest. Right. That's, that's like it's our local beer. swill. But like, but no, I was drinking it, you know, cause that's our Corona suddenly caught on for a while. Like there's all these things, but then there are other people, like you say, so there's the people who've had the Filson bag forever and always will. But I think the people who get most mad are probably going to be the people who were early on the trend and now feel like, like their trend got ganked. You know what I mean? Oh Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, why does that, why does that need to matter? Except in the sense that like, yeah, maybe now the quality is going to go down. That's the thing that sucks. That happened with, that's happened with cigars. That's oh, happened yeah. with so many things where like something catches on. And then like, in order to meet demand, you have to like make a shoddier product. Right. Cigars is the perfect example of that. And back in the nineties when that all of a sudden was like in vogue and popular and like everyone was smoking cigars and like. I'm a, I'm a woman and I'm smoking a cigar. It's like, you know, it, when, when six months ago, she's like, how can you smoke that filthy, disgusting thing? She's like, well, now there's a premium brand, so I'm okay with it. And I'm picking on people in the 90s, including me and women, yeah. including, you know, women that I'm friends with. Well, it was who just a thing. That, it was a but thing. It, was it like became it, a thing. It yeah. became a thing. And it's, you know, but I think that's fine. I think it's fine to like get there, get into something and enjoy something and try it out because you didn't know about it before and now you do. And now it's a thing that you're trying and maybe you like it and maybe you adopt it and make it something. But the, the, the speed and the sweeping of this now is it, like you're talking about with the boots in the mall. Like it's not, it's not a slow process. It's not a slow trend. It's, you know, th this person in this movie wore it and three weeks later it's in every store and everyone's getting it. And in three weeks after that, it'll be gone. But they're not acting, the part of the drives me crazy is they're not acting weird about it. They're not, it doesn't, <laughs> I'm the only one who thinks it's weird that suddenly everybody's doing the same thing. Right. Now, let's, let's make this a little bit personal. Um, I'm, for some reason, I'm thinking of two things that David Sedaris has written that I really thought was funny. One thing I'm forever quoting of him, I'll probably misquote both of these, but one of the things David Sedaris talks about in one of his early books was that feeling of uh, being in high school and like you're the arty outsider. 
and like you are the official like arty outsider you're doing it really well like at your school in in his case like at south carolina like he was the like brooding emo mm-hmm. guy who wore black and he was really good at that and then he went to college and this i so know this feeling he showed up at college as the broody guy who wears black there were not only dozens of people that were also the brooding and moody guy in black, but most of them were doing it better than him. And uh, he looked like a hick. Right. I've had this as the punk rock guy from Florida where like I was obviously doing it wrong the whole time. It's such a weird feeling. And it, because that's like, that became your identity in some ways. That's the kind of thing you do when you're 17 or 18. And it's kind of shattering to look around and go like, ah, I thought I was the guy who knew a lot about jazz. This sucks, you know? <laughs> And there's another story that I gets to, gets to the point, I guess, is he's talking about when he was, before he lived in France, I think he was visiting France with his boyfriend and he was in this shop full of weird, weird curios. And they had these like eyeballs sitting like on the, these like eyeballs, but were kind of pointy. They had like a socket in them. And, and there, there was like a sign saying, you know, please, <laughs> please be careful. Please don't hold this up to your eye. And he grabbed it and held it up to his eye. And, but he had this moment of realization of like, oh my God. Uh, you know, I am definitely not the first person to ever do that and think that it's funny. <laughs> do you, you know, so you walk up to the guy who's got the Miller beer truck and you say, Hey, you got a delivery for me. Oh my God. That's the first time I've, that's really good. You, I mean, there's so many things where like to you, that's the funniest thing in the world. So many people of you out there. Hi, when we meet and you say, Oh Merlin, you must be a wizard. well, <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that four <laughs> times a day for 49 years. But it would never occur to you because that the unique this part in this case. It's the first time you've heard it. It's the first time you've met somebody with that name. So, of course, you say the literally the first thing that comes to your mind. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, it's funny that I can point fingers about all this stuff. But then I look at myself. And, and you know where you see this is Google. Google is where I hold the eye, the eyeball up to my eye and feel like a dingus. Because I'm sitting there and I'm watching I'm watching Shark Tank and I go, you ever do this while you're watching Shark Tank and you can't help but go and like Google? Oh, yeah. The product. Oh, yeah. I'm not a big Googler. I used to be, but I, now I'm realizing like, ugh, it's so weird. But you go and you search for something like, you know, um, fast ramen cooker. And the first return has Shark Tank in the name. Uh-huh. Why, did, why does that surprise me every time it happens? It should not surprise me because everybody's doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm not the I'm not the in the first ten people to do this. I'm in the first million people to do this, right. and it still it still surprises me. Or like I mean, again, like what, what was the one we were we were watching a TV show? Oh, we were watching Hotel Hell, and I went and I searched the name of this one place, thinking, oh, you know, there'll be a page, and of course. The entire first page of results is talking about how it was on Hotel Hell. I'm acting like I'm living in this bubble where all this stuff doesn't exist. And I'm doing exactly what all of those other dummies and dinglings have done every day forever. I'm exactly the same as everybody else. But I mean, that, that's, that's a human kind of a thing, you know? It's, it's, like, it's like saying, well, you know, in a couple days, like, lots of people are going to go and burn, you know, light a fire and burn, burn a log in the fire and sit in front of a Christmas tree and like talk and give presents and like, I'm doing the same thing everyone else is doing. We should do something different, but there's not necessarily something wrong with that. You know what I mean? Like, does everything we do have to have to be original or is it, is it going back to what we were talking about with the chocolate guys who prided themselves or claimed that they were doing this in this very unique, special, original way. And in reality, they weren't. 
And it wasn't like they're saying, oh, we're going to make some really cool chocolate bars. You know what? We have, we have better packaging than anyone else. People will buy it because we have this really cool packaging. That wasn't enough. They had to make this claim. But I think it's enough to just kind of say like, hey, you know what? We're, we're having fun in front of the Christmas tree. And I know my neighbors are doing it. And there's millions of other people around the world who are doing it. And that's all right. I, I'm not, you know, I'm probably not the only one who's wearing a funny sweater today. Uh, right. You know, it's it. I didn't innovate the funny sweater, the ugly funny sweater on Christmas Day. You know what? That's okay. Like, I'm not. There's a, there's a, there's a company that does that on Shark Tank now. <laughs> right. And Remember, I don't. Was it, the, was it the Tipsy Elf? <laughs> tipsy Elf was the place where you can you can get a uh, ugly Christmas sweater. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, oh, I think uh, I think uh, Mr. Wonder. What was it, Mark or Mr. Wonderful? Tipsy Elves. There's enough oh, yeah. people, though, Merlin, in the world yeah. where no matter what the thing is that you do, you're you're probably not the only person that's doing it. And I think it's okay. I think that's okay. Ah, oh, God, it's a it's a wonderful time to bring back a phrase coined by Freud: <laughs> the narcissism of minor differences. This is this is a big this is a big thing. We are in we are in this village here. And then there are these people in this village over here who are 99.99999% identical to us, but we have to find the one thing that's different about, to potentially hate them for. <laughs> that's what it's all about. Anyway, civilization is discontent. So it's, a, it's still a thing. Uh, did you want to tell me about something else you like? The last thing I'll tell you about today is go to webinar. When you're trying to grow your business, you're going to need a cost-effective way to like get in touch with the people that you're making stuff for your audience, your listeners, your viewers, your followers, whatever it is that you're trying to do. And, and you want to connect this back to like, let's be honest, we want to make some sales, right? Like that's what this is all about. If you're starting a business or running a business, whether it's a little business or a big one, whether you're doing freelance, something that can really, really help you with this is Citrix go-to webinar. They're, they have like this go-to series of products. And this this is one of their new ones. It's really, really cool. It allows you to do basically like a presentation. Uh, they use the word webinar for it, but it's like a seminar. It's like you're teaching something, you're explaining something, or you're talking to people that want to get more information. It could be your clients already exist and you want to do essentially like a hangout with them, but you want to do it at a professional level with professional tools. And here's how it works. You you pick a topic, you pick your audience, who who among the people that you want to share this too, and you schedule your event, but it automatically handles everything. It'll email everybody on the list. It'll send out reminder reminders as you get closer to the date. And when it's time to present, like you hit record, you turn on your web camera, you share your screen, and that's it. And it just it just works. And when you're done, you can post the recording of this online and invite anyone who missed it to go and view it. This is so cool for, for like running little conferences. There's so many people who are teaching really, really valuable stuff or communicating with their audience in uh, really creative ways. And you just need tools that work and that are reliable and that work every time. And, uh, and that's what GoToWebinar is. So get started with your GoToWebinar today. You focus on the content. GoToWebinar handles the rest. It is GoToWebinar.com. And again, the URL, GoToWebinar.com. Thanks very much to them for supporting 5 by 5 Back to work with Merlin Man. Thank you. I think I only just now this very second got the joke uh, or the two meanings of their brand. Because go-to meeting, go-to webinar. Right. But it's, it's the, is it also kind of they're saying it's your go-to? I feel like it. that's what they're saying. Okay, yeah. I, just, I just got that. Is that a double entendre? Dan, there's so many things I don't get. There are still things my daughter has to explain to me. 
This, but I remember one day, probably in maybe high school, maybe college, going, "Oh my God! If I said you had a beautiful body, <laughs> would you hold it against me?" And my friends like, "What?" I'm like, "That song. It's a double entendre." You mean yeah, that song from like 1979? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Get it, get it. I see. It sounds like you're saying, "Would you hold it against me?" Like, you know, would you be mad about it? But what they're really saying, like, is physically, would you hold it against me? And they're like, yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> that's that's the that's the entire point of the song is that it's a double entendre. Right. <laughs> that's me. That's me. I'm I'm always figuring it out way after other people. That's what you do. Um, it's your thing. Yeah, I am. Trying to think of the things where I am guilty of this kind of silly. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah, whatever you want to do. Mm, In fact, uh, this is something we should probably say. This is, uh, and I'm being completely honest this time, this is our last and final show of the year. Of the year, right. I Uh, almost forgot. Dan, don't encourage them. Yeah, we're going to take a week off. You earned Um, it, man. You earned it. No, it's just, you know, it's funny. It's just, there's so much compression. We talked last week about being time constrained and, uh, it's just, there's compression. That's the, <laughs> I think I joke with you about compression in like the second episode of this show. Really? It's just like, well, yeah. Remember I talked about how you, I felt like you weren't good at scheduling things. And I, and I remember I said that where I talked about the concept of compression, compression, Dan, compression. I think uh, that does sound familiar. That was a few hundred episodes ago, though. It was. It was. Well, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody of that dumb thing where like, the further it is in the future, the more likely you are to just schedule it without even thinking about it. Right. Apparently, there's some there's some science on this that are, we're much more like, if you said to somebody, like, can you do an hour meeting today? You're less likely to say that you'll do it than like an hour meeting a year from now. You go, mm. well, obviously, of course I can do that. But it's still, it's the same hour. <laughs> it's just that as there's a quickening, like as, as you get closer to the date of something, in this case with the holidays, there's always, no matter how much I try to account for all the things that can get hairy, I don't account enough for all of them. It makes it hard to do stuff. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I went through this, I went through this dingling thing even last night where I realized, I don't know, I have not been as good in any sense at Christmas shopping stuff uh, this year as other years. Like I'm usually really super engaged for some reason this year. I just haven't been good at it. And my wife has been great at it. No, but I, I've gotten a couple little things from my wife, mainly things off her wish list. And I was thinking like, you know, but I haven't gotten her anything really cool. And now it's really late and I want to get her something really cool. And then I was starting to think, but then you're not, it's just so embarrassing after, after being mean to everybody for like an hour and a half, let me just be mean to myself. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, so <laughs> You uh, you really you don't want an Apple Watch, do you? She's like, nope, 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 definitely like <laughs> like the Fitbit, like the Fitbit. I think the Apple Watch is going to be like the quintessential <laughs> last minute for your wife purchase around oh, this wait, year. It, it gets it because it's I, like I'm, expensive, but it's not yes. outrageous, but it's cool. Well, let's cut to the chase. It's incredibly <laughs> convenient to buy. It costs a lot of money, and it's a zero effort, right? It's the perfect to go gift. Somewhere. I don't have to go somewhere and compare. Like the thing is, I start thinking about buying jewelry for her, which I'd love to do. It's like we just had our tenth anniversary. I'd like to buy her something nice. And like as soon as I start looking at the different prices of something that looks identical, it's not a money thing. That's partly a money thing. I mean, I'm not a dummy, but I'm sitting there and I'm going like, wait, this one's silver and that one's silver, but this one's. And I'm like, oh, and it's like I, I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy this thing because I'm confused. <laughs> so then I say, yeah. 
And uh, you sure you wouldn't want like an iPad Air too? Like you know, because your your iPad Mini is getting kind of old. She says no, no, that's fine, it's fine. <laughs> it's like really, so there's nothing like that. <laughs> do, you want another, do you want another iPhone? <laughs> Why? Why? Because I'm that guy. I'm that dummy, and I'm sitting there going like, I don't have anything that's expensive enough for her yet. Can, I'm saying those words. Can you believe that? I'm being no, honest. I know. That I is a thought the same that went way. my head. It, and, and so, but, but it's a confluence of all these dumb thoughts, which is one thing. I didn't buy anything expensive for her yet. And the other thought is, I would like it to be convenient for me. <laughs> and the other part is, I'm such a dick for waiting until the 22nd to, yeah. to, to take care of this. Yeah. And like, to me, you know, hey, Apple Watch would be a silver bullet. But what, what a dummy. Ugh. But then she did admit she would like an, a MacBook Air, so I guess I got a truck over to the <laughs> Apple Store. <laughs> no, but the, does that ever go through your mind? I mean, did you ever think like that? Yes. Because like, you know, we had a whole episode about the holidays on reconcilable differences, and just talking about like that whole like, oh God, you want your kids' Christmas to be great, but you don't want to spoil them, and you want to get them lots of stuff, but you don't want to get them so much stuff that they don't appreciate what they've got, and like it's suddenly like, oh my God. 364 other days of the year, I lead a certain life. And then I imagine what life should be like on this one day of the year where everything's supposed to be perfect. And it's a ridiculous amount of pressure that I put on myself. But you're a dad, you know, and you want to like create that environment that is not only like what you had when you were a kid, but better in every way possible for your kids or for your family. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. We were, we were driving back from, um, place we're visiting this week and <laughs> I don't know why this is funny to me but sometimes I'll like be half listening to something on public radio and it'll be over and I'll just be like what what was that and why did they say that and so we're sitting there we're driving along and the funniest thing happened we're listening to uh KQED and it's a uh, it's it's part of the you know the news part the end of the news the human interest part or whatever and they go like like they, they, they throw to somebody, a, a correspondent who goes like, they had like three facts. Like, well, you know, Christmas, Christmas is coming. Uh, retailers are experiencing smaller sales than usual. Um, they're counting on a large number of people uh, to buy things at the last minute. Uh, something, something statistic. Uh, for NPR, this is da 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 And Mal and I both turned and looked at each other at the same time. And I was like, we just looked and furrowed our brows and I was like, what was that? Like, cause sometimes you'll hear this thing. You're like, okay, so what is the takeaway of that? What, what did I need to know about that? That they want me, people want me to go buy more things. Was that an economic story? Was that a human interest story? Uh, 43% of, of parents are skipping expensive gifts for each other to buy stuff for their kids. <laughs> is it a, is it a make me sad story? It was basically like three <laughs> facts that were kind of mostly unrelated and the fact that it was on public radio made it sound like something I needed to know. And I was just like, I, I, sometimes that happens and I'm like, I feel like I see the matrix or like I put on the, they live sunglasses and I'm like, right. well, what's that? Right. Super weird. I, you know, it's such a strange time of year too, because there's so much sort of, there's supposed to be this celebration. Then there's this sort of, like fear and guilt of did did I not get the person enough? What if they get me more stuff? Yeah. And then you hear that like, well, now am I supposed to feel guilty that I didn't buy enough from these stores that I like because of what NPR just said? You know, like it, 
there's like uh, maybe it's because of the Jewish thing, but there's always like this underlying layer oh, of yeah, guilt yeah. happening. I don't know. I don't know. But even <laughs> N- even NPR wants you to feel guilty, apparently. Well, I mean, you know, they're they're not immune uh, to a, to a certain kind of condition, which is you know, I, I, there is a certain kind of story on public radio and NPR in particular that I can usually smell from the intro and i would just describe that as the story where there is a fact or statistic from a recently released paper or you know report in the penultimate paragraph of the report and what you realize is oh they got a press release about how 43 percent of parents are skipping uh buying presents for each other this year to afford things for their kids mm. and then that becomes a story but they don't want you to know that that's the thing they do a lot of reporting 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 talk 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 report report talk 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 and in fact turns out in a recent analysis 43 percent of diddly diddly d and like ah oh, that's like a that's a thing like that's such a format right you know but you know uh, i'll put this in show notes uh the episode with syracuse on uh, reconcilable differences uh it's i refer to christmas as the emotional swimsuit season you know that term <laughs> no well you know the term swimsuit season where you go like okay swimsuit season is coming up and that means that like i've been sitting around wearing clothes and now i'm gonna have to think about what my body is gonna look like when i wear a swimsuit right a huge you know huger thing for women than men but we all kind of get self-conscious about how we look and i think christmas is emotional swimsuit season because it's like where you feel very i feel very vulnerable in some ways in some good ways but in some like kind of scary ways too it's a time of year when you think about all these ways you would like life to be and you suddenly find yourself in my case like scurrying around like making a scale model of how i think life should be and it's if you're honest with yourself, if, I, if I'm honest with myself, like it's kind of a weird, it's an odd thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it, I make it more stressful than it has to be. Well, that's the, you want to avoid that stress. You don't need that stress. <sighs> you don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. Just go and, you know, and have a good time. Like your daughter enjoys probably everything you get her, right? Mostly. I, just some- don't, I don't want her to turn into Dudley Dursley. That's all I'm <laughs> I've told her. I sometimes a couple times a week I'll turn to her and I'll just be like, "Don't be Dudley." <laughs> she gets it, right? Thirty six. Last year there was thirty seven. <laughs> I, you know, like my my boy has gotten to the point now where he's so specific about the things that he wants, and I approve of the things that he wants, and I'm glad that he wants what he wants, and I'm happy to get those things for him, which are mainly the same exact action figures that I had when I was a boy and casually threw away when I went to college and now cost 15 to $30 a piece at the local, you know, vintage figure store that I'm now rebuying for him. Wow. But <laughs> you got no problem with those, huh? I no, I like that because the, the way that he <laughs> well, doesn't, I think that makes sense. <laughs> Cause yeah. you like them, right? I like them too. And he, he cherishes them and collects them and keeps them and keeps, and is so careful with them, you know, wow. and just wants, you know, we're, we're going to probably get some kind of like nice way for him to display them. Like Ikea has some stuff that's cheap, but nice for you know for stuff like this but he like he is slowly getting a really nice collection of vintage figures going that i also know that you know what most likely if he ever decides he doesn't want them anymore like there's ebay or etsy or whatever and and people will still pay money for them so like i'm okay with that much more okay than i am with like the barbie that my little girl wants that Mm. you know have you gotten into shopkins yet 
No. Mm. I know I know about those. Oh my goodness. Um no. It's 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 Shopkins all the way down. It's a series of little figures <laughs> that you buy that are about shopping. Right. And they and they have they come with this little sheet describing how collectible self describing how collectible oh, they are. Right. And she's like, Oh no, this little shoe is, is a very rare. Oh, like, well, no. honey, I'm not sure it's a very rare. It's you got it in a blind box of Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> but she loves it. Yeah, that's not I'm not like I'm sure we'll get there. But she's with the yours is one. more into the Barbies. Yeah, she's kind of in, it's still into like Barbies and like the one thing that I had to find for her was at some point I got her a, an owl stuffed animal. Oh, and this year, like the number one gift that she needed was that that the owl, the one that I had gotten her six months ago, not really thinking about it, had become it was a mom owl, but it had no baby. Oh, so that's sweet. That's it, so sweet. Well, it, no, because it wasn't enough that I had to just find a smaller owl. It had to be a smaller owl that looked like the mom owl. Was it, were, you, were you lucky enough for it to be like a tie toy? I found it, no, but I found a tie baby owl that had a similar color. There's a lot of inbreeding in the tie community. I uh, only had to go to five different places to find only five to find the owl that looked like the mom. Oh, you really? Yeah. Oh, I can't find the kimochi she wants. <laughs> I don't think it's even like like really available yet. Or do you know like you do this stuff for your kids? And so last night, uh, it was it was my turn to do bedtime for both of them. And uh, I would you know we have to pick because one is four and one is eight. We have to pick books that are compatible. So we can't. Read. Oh, you read them both at once. Last night I, I did oh, occasionally. No, 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 no. That's really cool. Well, it, it's a few nights a week I'll do this and. You know, he's, we're reading the third Harry Potter book with my son and with my daughter, we're reading like, you know, individually like Puff the Magic Dragon. So they're on very different levels of what they want to hear. So I can't read Harry Potter to both of them and I can't read Puff to both of them. So usually we wind up doing uh, like books like The Giving Tree uh, with Shel Silverstein or his poem books, or we'll read like... Um, Lemony Snicket that has a book called The Dark that's really fun. So we'll read these different books together, but you know, they both kind of like them, but then at at the end, you know that they don't they don't they're not, neither one's completely as happy as they would have been if it had been Puff or if it had been uh Harry Potter, but you're like a labor mediator. Like yes. you, you're it's your job to make both sides equally unhappy. Right, but the Giving Tree is this is this interesting book because at the end of it, I can now have these conversations with my son, who's eight, and I can say, "Do you, do you feel like there's any meaning behind this story?" And he's like, "Well, I I feel like you're kind of like the tree, and I'm kind of like the boy in the story." I'm like, "How so?" He's like, "Well, because you're you're like older and you're giving things and taking care of of me, and I'm you know I'm I'm the boy." I'll be like, "That's right," but there's something else is that as a parent, and this is back to what you were saying before, like as a parent, you, you would give your kids everything, even if it leaves you with absolutely nothing. And in, and in a, a kind of a sorry state, sorry, to, spoiler alert for the giving tree. And, but you know, it's very, it's very true. Like that's how we feel. Like it doesn't matter if it's something that like we were not going to buy gifts for each other as spouses because we want to give it to our kids and we don't even want our kids to, necessarily know that we made that sacrifice you know and that's i think something that it's so natural to do as a parent but it occurred to me last night in reading this book and talking to him about this that you know as a kid i don't know i mean i know i would have picked up that lesson but like 
you don't really get it until you are a parent, even as an adult reading that book and knowing about the book and thinking about it, it still changes more when you actually have children in, in such a way that now we feel like this responsibility to like, Christmas is going to be perfect. Like it's got to be right. Like this year is the year that I'm going to get it right. Right. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I keep coming back to the idea of, and again, I talked about this at length with Syracuse, but I, I'm really interested in the idea of, and in an odd way, this actually does kind of comport with what we've been talking about this whole episode. It's, you know, it's, it's about envisioning what kind of life you'd like to have or what kind of life you, you think you should have. Yeah. And so many of our successes, our failures, our ups, our downs, all the stuff so much of the stuff that makes life complicated comes out of some disparity behind between where you are, or where you think you are versus where you think you should be, mm-hmm. where you deserve to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could even go down to like, uh, or, you know, you get the whole idea of like imposter syndrome or uh, that kind of thing where you're like, you're actually doing better than you think you should be doing. And that makes you feel bad or fear of success as people mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. but like we all have some kind I don't want to say even one barometer or one thermometer. I think we have a whole series of thermometers and barometers to kind of figure out how things are going. And it could be physical things. It could be emotional things. It could be mental things. It could be weird superstitious things. But there are all kinds of ways that we try to gauge where we, we go like, hmm, I wonder if anything's wrong. Let's check the, just check the dials and gauges. Oh, I need to go add more family time to the mix. Let's turn up that knob. Or I need, you know what I mean? I think there are healthy people who don't think about life that way. Like they're in a Charlie Kaufman movie. Right. And then there's people like me. <laughs> and it's just that, you know, it's again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, why would you can't just run a marathon, you know, without ever training. And if you haven't trained to be a good human all year long, like why would December be any different? Hmm. Unless you're visited by ghosts. Mm-hmm. God, this is depressing. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts to wrap up our year? No. You got anything planned to do differently next year? Like my New Year's resolution? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I wouldn't I, phrase it that way. Yes, I wrote I wrote down a few things on my Aqua Note the other morning uh in the love shower. Aqua notes. Yeah. Ooh, love it. And uh of of what I the what my want my main focus is to be uh for next year, which are different a little bit different than they have been. Are you going to share them? Uh, I'll I'll share them if they work out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) No, you know, it really goes back to wanting to, wanting to do more with it. And you said this, you said this to me, I think episode one or something, Uh, just doing, doing more with on fewer things doing doing less but doing more with those God, i feel like i probably say that every year really that's, that's one of my three yeah what are your other two um where was this i was on yeah on clockwise you talked about this yeah the, my three are uh uh it's gonna be a talk year this has been a tick year for technology i bought a whole bunch of stuff i've got a lot of new things and i want 2016 to be a year where i refine and simplify and focus with especially with tools um i mean i i have you know i have my own ideas about how to do better at my various job or jobs but no but in particular with stuff like technology because that was the question that came up on clockwise i was thinking about how i really would like to 
I've got all the gear now. Now I'd like to really figure out how best to use it, how to simplify things. I want to get into apps like Workflow and try to find ways to do more with less. So that's my technology one. Uh, and then the other is two human things. One is I'm going to try to try to continue to keep uh, getting better about thinking about how other people see things than how I see things. I'm going to try and make it a value every day to try and get better about seeing things from other people's point of view or trying to re-examine the things that I think that I understand well. And then the third was, uh, I'm going to try to stop using the word hate almost entirely. Oh, I like that. I hate every ape I see. I should know that reference. Wait, from chimpanzee A to chimpanzee? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Yes, it's the best. Wow, I can't believe I got that one. I'm you know impressed. One, you, know what's, you know what's just almost as hard as hate? <laughs> Try to stop using the word just. Give me an example of when I should not use it. Oh, I don't. I mean, the thing is, start noticing how much. I mean, in my case, how often. That was just amazing. Hmm. I, wish they would, I wish they would just leave them alone. It's amazing. Also words like amazing. Um, but that, that, but uh, you know what? I, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to try to just work on hate. It's amazing how much, amazing, again, amazing. Now I'm self-conscious. How much I use the word hate when I don't really mean hate. When it means I dislike or it irks me. And I think uh, my, one of my thought technologies is I would like to potentially eradicate using that word except as a noun. Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to use it as a transitive verb anymore. Oh, give me, give me an example, more example. Uh, uh, I hate craft beer. Versus, no, I don't actually hate craft. I don't really have a very strong opinion about craft beer. Yeah, at all, and I don't actually hate it. Stop using that word. Right. That hate's very really strong. Extreme. Well, and then, but then you just use it the correct way, which is as a noun. As a noun, you could say you could talk about the idea of hate, but I'm going to stop transitively hating. No, 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 I'm going to be a hater. Like, shut up. But no, to <laughs> stop being somebody who uses that word a lot. Don't be a hater about haters. <laughs> You're a hater, hater is your problem. <sighs> <laughs> big year. Big year. Been a big year. All right. So, uh, we'll just, I guess I'll just say happy holidays and happy new year to uh, all of our listeners. Yeah. See you. Uh, talk to you next year then. See you on the, uh, on the other side. On the flip side. On the flip side. Stay alive. Stay safe. And uh, let's spend this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin Man. Mm-hmm.